He was the ultimate experiment in nature versus nurture, and she imagined he must be engaged in a constant battle between what he was and what he wanted to be. Larissa Ioni, Pleasure Unbound. Everybody, how are you? Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are here at yet another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kentad Svensgaard, and along with me, please say hello to our good friend, Mr. A.J. Mass. They said it couldn't happen. They said it wouldn't be done. And yet here it is. It's happening. It's been doing. <laughs> yes, indeedy. This, AJ, as you know, and as I know, but maybe not everybody who's listening knows, but they should know, this is a podcast about the television program, Criminal Minds. Uh, Each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before. AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode many a time, uh, and that's the perspective we bring to it. This week, AJ, we are talking about Season 2, Episode 11 of Criminal Minds, which is entitled Sex, Birth, Death. And some of those things are actually shown in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this episode was written by Chris Mundy and directed by Gwyneth Porter-Payton. It originally aired on November 29th, 2006. AJ, on that special day in November, in an amazing bit of synchronicity with our episode title, we had finally switched over from Ludacris as our favorite song, and uh, we were listening to our new number one hit by Akon featuring Snoop Dogg. The title was I Wanna (laughs) Bleep You. That radio song, the radio edit was called I Wanna Love You. We'll just put it that way. I Wanna Love You Like an Animal. <laughs> Wanna feel you from the inside. Oh boy. Uh so anyway. <laughs> yeah, let's get on to a different really cool song though. <laughs> yes. We open this episode on a night shot of the US Capitol building, and we are helpfully told that this is Washington, DC. Sometimes we don't need the caption, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We immediately cut to a montage of various prostitutes. Uh, who was that song, AJ? Is that the Pixies? That's who it that sounds is, like. Yes, that is the Pixies' Where Is My Mind? Uh, uh, yes. A song that has been used on many a show uh, in the intervening years, but uh, this is one of the earlier times I actually remember it being on a TV show. So before uh, your Mr. Robot and your, yeah, that's, and your Leftovers. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yes, we see these various prostitutes peddling their wares in the cruel D.C. streets. Uh, We cut several times to what appears to be uh, what I would call like a typical screwy person's manifesto. (laughs) And it's being shown to us Doogie Howser style, you know, like being typed out on the on the monitor. We don't actually see our uh, unsub. Uh, It's ranting about prostitutes and their ill effects on society and how we need to exterminate them. Then we uh, focus on one blonde prostitute. We flash to morning seeing the same prostitute, and unfortunately, 
for her especially. Uh, she's being brutally attacked in an alley. Her throat is slashed. And uh, once she's dead, our gloved unsub grabs a handful of her hair and starts hacking it off. Worst haircut ever. <laughs> yeah. We cut to... Okay, clearly to me, <laughs> this was the 59th yes. Street Lexington subway in New York City. Uh, and that's where I thought we were. I thought we were, oh, New York City. So we're cutting from Washington, D.C. to New York City. But, okay, but you see fine. the lack of a caption there. I should have told you <laughs> that it ain't New York City. Yeah, they, they right. use really uh, New York City footage for the metro in D.C. Whatever, you know, editors sometimes just don't care. And this is one of those situations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, Dr. Reed is getting off a train, I guess, and he's headed up the uh, steps at the subway station. He's got a coffee in hand. And uh, all of a sudden, he's recognized and stopped by a teenage boy who says, hey, you're Dr. Reed. And, and Reed is like, uh, do I know you? And the young man says, I just know what you do. And apparently he saw Reed speak at Georgetown a few weeks before giving a lecture on sexual sadism and how he helped catch the Mill Creek Killer in St. Louis. Shout out episode nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they... It certainly also places it at how recently he saw him speak. So there is at least that. Uh, you know, Reed's got the photographic memory, so I'm surprised he didn't go, yeah, you were in C3 C right. in row 7. But but no, no, he didn't notice it. <laughs> yes. I also should say I immediately recognized this young actor, uh, Anton Yelchin, who uh, became Chekhov and is unfortunately no longer with us, but... Uh, I did recognize him immediately, so you want to give me the credit now? Because I know that's a quiz question, right? Well, he played Chekhov. That, no, that was not the quiz question at all, because of course he played Chekhov, and unfortunately, <laughs> uh, like he said, uh, is no longer with us, died in a tragic Jeep accident. Uh, way too young. Yeah. So anyway, Reed says that he looks a little bit too young to go to Georgetown, and the boy replies that he's actually a junior at a high school named after Kanye's son, <laughs> Northwest High. <laughs> so Reed is like, uh, so you go to lectures on anger excitation for fun? And the boy looks kind of lost in thought for a quick moment. And then he says, well, he doesn't really have a lot of friends. He's interested in profiling. He reads a lot of true crime, graphic novels mostly, about things like evil nature versus nurture, etc. And he thought it'd be smart to hear from an ex expert. By the way, so uh, you say a lot of them kill prostitutes? <laughs> <laughs> and Reed is like, uh, yeah, they're the number one serial killer target. And the boy starts to say, so is that for sex? Or do you think that it's because they they think that they're dirty and they need to be punished? <laughs> Weird choice of words there. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I'm thinking it's probably because of the ease of access to to the victim and the fact that their deaths aren't going to be publicized or anything like that, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> before I can ponder that, really, some dramatic music kicks in, and Reed is like, uh, were you here waiting for me? And the boy says, uh, what would it mean if like someone was stabbing them and then cutting <laughs> off their hair? <laughs> Uh, I think that's a bit too specific of a question, AJ. 
And I mean, in fairness, Reed thinks the same. Fairness, we know it's too specific of a question, and yeah, it is. But he doesn't know why it's too specific of a question just quite yet, because he doesn't know about the scene that we got to see <laughs> before this encounter. But uh, yeah, this this kid is is beyond Dear Evan Hansen vibes. He's way into psychotic. Yeah. Yeah, so Reed says uh, he's never heard of a case like that, and he gets kind of clumsy because obviously he thinks something is up now, so he uh, says, look, uh, why don't you uh, go to the BAU with me and maybe talk to some of the team members around there, see what's going on, and uh, the kid's like, "Uh, no, I gotta go, I gotta go to school. Reed says, uh, why don't you give me your name and your phone number and I'll call you. But no, at this point. Strangely enough, this is exactly how uh, Reed acts when a pretty girl is hitting on him, too. (laughs) With similar results. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, cut to BAU. Reed has uh, run in. He's rushed in. We're into the uh, familiar BAU elevator vestibule. Reed is getting off the elevator. And he's uh, marking something in his little notebook. And JJ sees him, says, hey, as he's coming in. And But Reed is all business. He asks her for a contact with the D.C. police. She tells him, oh, yeah, you want to talk to Detective Victor Barnes? He immediately gets on the phone and calls the D.C. police asking for Detective Barnes. Gideon walks up like, what's wrong? And Reed says, uh, we need to get this out to everyone as soon as possible. And he puts down his <laughs> sketchbook, AJ. <laughs> To show his uh, sketch of the suspect, and at this point, I'm dying laughing because this sketch looks like, strangely, it looks like Anton Yelchin a bit, but it also looks like maybe an alien or a fire sprite or... Or some weird creature. <laughs> I was thinking it was the very sickly boy who was in Lisa's class on The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, perfect. Perfect. But, yeah, it, it, it's a doodle. <laughs> this is not a professional job. <laughs> uh, uh, Reed does get the detective on the phone and asks if he has any recent cases of prostitutes being stabbed and their hair being cut off. And he gets an affirmative answer, tells the uh, detective... Uh, that he's going to meet him in a half hour and he hangs up. Gideon asks him what's going on and Reed says, DC may have a serial killer and I think I just let him get away. Credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. Boy, Reed is really hard on himself in that scene. <laughs> Way too hard yes. on himself. <laughs> yeah. I think I just uh, let him get away. No, a creepy kid <laughs> said some weird things. And, okay, yeah, you're putting two and two together. This is the good detective work, Reed. Don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. You might have been just like, oh, I'm proud. Someone recognized me from Georgetown. And and then you really would have let him get away. (laughs) We come back to some shots of DC, just in case we forgot that's where it's supposed to take place because many of our scenes look like they were shot in New York. And uh, (laughs) we get our opening quote. T.S. Eliot wrote... Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the shadow. We cut to a shot of our teenager in a class. He's looking troubled. And then we cut quickly to a grisly-looking morgue with the, a bloody, nasty-looking table in the foreground. <laughs> Do we ever cut to a cheery-looking morgue? <laughs> 
know, one day, just some flowers and a, a picture okay, of a smiling right, sun. Sure. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, so our detective Barnes is there. He's showing Reed and, and Gideon the body. Hotch comes in. We make some introductions. Uh, and Reed says, well, it turns out this is our second victim. Second victim. The uh, first victim was killed three months ago. Both were killed early in the morning and both had their hair chopped off. And Detective Barnes says the uh, uniform police didn't make the connection because they were fixated on this. And he pulls down a blanket and uh, we see carved in the body right in the, the abdomen, it looks like, the word help and a lot of other little marks around this carving. Apparently, the first victim didn't have any of those carvings, and they note some of the cuts are quite shallow. So Gideon is thinking uh, maybe perhaps the killer is asking the police to help him stop. Gideon says that would fit in with the fact that the Reed met this kid. Maybe a part of him wants to stop. And Reed, again, apologizes for letting him go. Gideon says, don't worry, they'll catch him. And Hotch wants to know if these killings happened in the morning. How come there's no witnesses? And Barnes says, well, the motels and alleys there, they have bad reputations. People go out of their way not to look at whatever's I going mean, Barnes could just as easily say, Hotch, have you ever lived in a city before? <laughs> yes. <laughs> people, people walk from point A to point B. They don't look around into the, every nook and cranny to see what's going on. Exactly. We uh, then cut to Morgan and Prentice, who are out uh, questioning various prostitutes. Uh, and they're very wary of being questioned, these women. But Prentice informs them, look, we're here to protect you. So they finally open up a little bit. They say there are a lot of Johns from the Hill that stop by there on their way to work. So the same politicians that are yelling about cleaning up Capitol Hill are the same ones dropping cash on their services the very next minute. Morgan is looking around the trash bin, and it's bloody and messy and gross. And uh, then he shows them a copy of Reed's sketch. <laughs> and instead of going, that kid from The Simpsons? Uh, they, they recognize him. They say, oh, yeah, he hangs around. He pretends he's not watching him. He's just some horny kid. One of the prostitutes asks if they think he's the one that's do that did this. And Prentice says they don't know. But somebody did, so those girls need to be careful. They say, the girls say they stick to the daylight and they only work in the high-end blocks. And one of them is talking to Prentice and at first she lies. She says she's uh, 21 years old and then admits to being 19, 19 years old. Prentice tells them, look, they just need to watch out for other, each other. That's it. That's it. We're not out to get you. You know, it's all good. It's also, I think it's always good for them to have a female... FBI agent uh, on the scene because it, it is not that Morgan isn't going to get the attention because you know Morgan's going to get the attention but in, in general having a female point of view it probably is easier for them to to be a little more honest and upfront about it right we cut to uh, but oh I will say yes but JJ seems much the better type for that than Prentice does so far at least in my brief uh Prentice is a, seems a, Emily seems a little bit cold. A little bit, a little bit, a little so detached. Far. But you know, she's. I'm sure she'll, she will open up. She's getting her legs, as it were, her yeah. sea legs. So uh, we cut next to Hotch's office, and there is a congresswoman there, Karen, Congresswoman Karen Steyer, 
she's uh, sitting there waiting for him as he, she's been let into his office and she was waiting for him. After their uh, introductions, she gets right to the point. She's heard that there may be a potential serial killer targeting prostitutes in D.C. Hotch is like, well, that was fast. <laughs> and she's like, I have good people. Anyway, her point is, is if his team is to stay on this case, she wants him to promise not to publicize the murders. Hotch says, well, he can't promise that. And she says, notice that I said, if you stay on this case. Uh, she happens to know that the BAU has to be invited by the local authorities to work on a case. Um, basically, six, month, six months ago, she introduced an initiative declaring crime in D.C. to be an epidemic. Hotch says he's familiar with that bill. They provide more federal funding. And then D.C. targets lifestyle crimes like prostitution and drug use. And hopefully the overall crime rate will go down. And it has worked in other cities, and she says that it's worked here. And in four days, she said to make a speech from the Capitol announcing petty crime and violent crime have gone way down. The last thing she needs is having the press announce that there's a serial killer murdering prostitutes. Hotch <laughs> uh, understands, but by not alerting the media, they're going to put women, some women at risk. And then Senator, she says, uh, she's not asking him, I'm sorry, Congresswoman. She's not, a, I don't think she's a Senator. She's yeah, a she's probably representative, yes. Yeah. She says uh, she's not asking him to back down. She's, he can go ahead and work the case, go ahead and catch the killer. She just wants him to do it quietly. And Hotch is like, well, what if I don't? And then Senator says, well, then you won't be working the case at all. <laughs> and uh, she gets up to leave. She tells Hotch, some unsolicited advice. She says, you know what? You're driven, you're smart, and you're just the type of guy that might one day head up the FBI. But uh, you need to accept that leading the FBI has as much to do with politics as it has to do with law enforcement. She then turns around and leaves, and Hodge watches her as she's walking out. She stops, and she gives Prentice a hug, big old hug, and starts talking to her for a little bit. Uh, before she exits the office. One might call that sus. <laughs> <laughs> Our next scene, we have Reed working with Garcia on trying to find this kid. Reed is thinking it's an impossible task, and Garcia is like, have you met me? Clickety-clack uh, on the way. <laughs> I can clickety-clack for you. Uh, she says to Reed, just to, he's just got to think like a high schooler. And Reed's like, well, I was 12 and hadn't been through puberty yet when I was in high school. <laughs> Which Garcia's like, okay, fair point. I'll think like a high schooler for you. You just do the profiling. She says, uh, he said he was a junior. You know, when you're a teenager, you always lie to authorities. The first rule is you say you're older than you are. So he's probably really a sophomore. Reed thinks about it some more. Says, well, his coat was made out of lamb's wool. But it didn't look vintage. It looked like it was tailored to fit him, which means he must have had he must have come from money. And in D.C., money means private school. And Garcia's like, look at you go now, <laughs> detective. <laughs> Reed says, even a lie has to be within the depth of your experience, right? So he has her clickety-clack, the entire district that has Northwest High in it, and asks her if there are any private schools within those boundaries. Yes, there are three of them. Well, do any of them offer elective courses at Georgetown? Garcia says, one, the Morton School. Reed says, pull up the junior class. And I guess yearbooks are online now. 
Uh, no, no, she's clickety clackety. Uh, you know, <laughs> she she's yeah. got secret wink wink. <laughs> okay, and uh, so also she does make him correct himself to say the sophomore class. She does pull it up, and almost immediately they find our teenager. His name is Nathan Harris. Yeah. Now, in fairness, he, she she it might not have been the yearbook. It might have been the student IDs, which are probably on file on the school computer. So, uh, you know. She doesn't need to know what their 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 uh, senior quote is, or uh, right. <laughs> most likely to become a serial killer. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, here he is! <laughs> hey, it looks just like my sketch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we do cut to more typing on a screen in a Doogie Hauser fashion. Um, this writing seems slightly different than the writing we saw before. I did notice that this seemed more story like, like describing someone killing a prostitute uh rather than ex- uh, uh uh ranting on prostitutes and how they need to be cleansed from the world. Well this is the third person uh, part of the of the story perhaps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We do cut away from the computer and it it appears to be Nathan Harris who is typing this particular bit of uh information. We hear a doorbell ring, a woman saying she'll get it. The woman answers the door, and it's Gideon, Morgan, and Reed. They ask to talk to Nathan, and they want to ask him a few questions. And the woman is like, uh, not really, not unless you explain what's going on. And Reed says her son came to talk to him that morning about a murder case. And she's saying, well, why would he know anything about a murder? And then all of a sudden, Nathan comes out of his room and says, it's true, Mom, I did talk to him. Do you mind if I talk to these guys alone? Gideon uh, says he'll stay out there with the bomb. And Reed and Morgan go with Nathan into his room. Morgan turns off the music that Nathan was listening to. Nathan says uh, to Reed, he knew that if he was really good, he'd he'd find him. And Reed is like, well, is that why you were waiting for me? You wanted to get caught? And Nathan's like, wait, what do you mean get caught? Uh, Reed goes over to his laptop. And Nathan kind of tries to stop him, but Morgan tells him to stay put. He explains that what he was typing was just text for a graphic novel. And reads like, about killing prostitutes? (laughs) And Nathan says, uh, yeah, Jack the Ripper, it's a famous case. Which made me laugh. (laughs) And and realize, yeah, I guess maybe a a teenager would would have feel like he had to explain to an adult who Jack the Ripper was. So it did ring true. <laughs> it was just a little bit of amount of uh, the teenage snark there. <laughs> duh. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. And might I add, <laughs> duh. <laughs> Morgan is like, this ain't a game, kid. And Nathan says he knows. And Reed says he knew specific details about a murder that hasn't been publicized. Nathan says... Well, he didn't kill her. He just really wanted to. <laughs> and we cut to a break. I mean, he's being very honest here. And I, what I love about uh, Anton Yelchin's acting in this is he's very kind of shy in the way he talks and everything's just a little bit off. But he's very eloquent in the way he's saying. He just says it in this kind of disarming way. <laughs> Yes, we come back, and now we are in an interrogation room at the BAU. Uh, Morgan is there asking Nathan if he didn't kill her. How do you know the details of the case? And uh, Nathan admits to seeing the body early before school. 
He describes it. She was dressed in red. She'd been stabbed a lot. Her hair was chopped off. They ask him where. He says, in an alley off of K Street. They take men down there for sex. He sees them do it all the time. He doesn't know why he goes there. Sometimes he stays out all night. And if his mom doesn't come home because she's working, he just goes out and he, he winds up there. We cut to Gideon talking to Mrs. Harris. And she's saying that thinking dark thoughts is a far cry from being a danger. She says he's a good boy. He's exceptionally bright. He just lives in his head more than the other kids. His father died when he was nine. It was very emotionally grueling, but they got through it together. Gideon says, and you're close. And she nods and she says, very. And then she looks at Gideon and tells him, <laughs> don't go misinterpreting that. Gideon says, she teaches at the medical school and is also on call at the hospital. So Nathan must have a lot of freedom. And she says, well, she does treat him like a man because he's always been able to handle his responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, as someone who grew up as a latchkey kid, like, none of this is really all that out of the ordinary. You know, there's a lot of single parents out there who got to do what they got to do. So, you know, it's, it makes sense to have a smart kid who's never been in trouble before. He's got free reign to go around the city, take care of himself. I mean, there's nothing out of line here. And then, to his credit, Gideon is just nodding and understanding and is not giving any side eye. He, he's with her. Right. Cut back to Reed. He's asking Nathan, well, why didn't he just call the police? Nathan says he doesn't know. Morgan uh, says that all the prostitutes says, say that he watches them. And he says, yeah, but I never touched them. And Morgan asks if he fantasizes about having sex with them. And he's like, no, I just think about killing them. And uh, after the lecture, he saw Dr. Reed at the metro stop a few times. And he thought he could help him. He doesn't know how. He just saw the body and he felt excited. And that scared him. And Morgan asks if it's possible he killed the prostitutes, but he just doesn't want to admit it to himself. But Nathan is, is adamant that that's not the case. And Reed says, well, why did you run away from me? And he says, well, he thought he might say that he was crazy and that there was no way to stop it. We cut back to Gideon and Mrs. Harris, or I suppose I should say Dr. Harris. Uh, and now Morgan and Reed walk out of the interrogation room to join them. Morgan says they'd like to give him to the juvenile authorities overnight so they can do a psychological evaluation on him. And she just can't believe this whole situation is real. Gideon says, right now, it's just an evaluation. Uh, he would encourage Nathan to have a lawyer present. She says she doesn't know what he's going through, but the Nathan that she knows is a sweet boy. And Reed says, you know what? He believes her. She agrees to give her permission, and Reed says he'll go get the paperwork. Prentice comes in to say that the juvenile authorities are waiting for Nathan. And Gideon says he's in the interrogation room, and he walks away. Uh, Prentice asks Morgan if she think if he thinks he's the unsub, and Morgan says it, he says he didn't do it. He seems sincere, but he is a smart kid, and part of the sadistic sexual profile is the ability to mimic honesty and sincerity. We cut to a close-up of Nathan, and he's just staring there, <laughs> and he's looking a bit like Hannibal Lecter in this, in this camera shot. The camera zooms in really close, then closer, and then it's in his eyeball. We go into his eye, and then there we see a smiling Nathan meet up with a prostitute and walk away with her. 
They go to a room, they begin to fool around, and then he's stabbing her, and he has a knife in her gut, and then apparently that was just everything that was in his head, and we zoom back out of his eye, and we're back into the interrogation room, uh, and Prentice walks in to let him know that the uh, authorities are there for him. Now, did you happen to recognize the sex worker in his fantasy there? I did not. That is the... Fine, fine acting of one Trishel from Real World Vegas. Oh, wow. She attempted to have a bit of an acting career after the real world, and this was one of the jobs she got. A 30-second getting stabbed uh, after doing a sexy dance. Trishel, ladies and gentlemen. Trishel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. Anyway, as he's... Uh being let out as nathan is being let out he stops to talk to reed and he asks him to promise to tell him the truth whatever his psych eval says and, and reed nods and nathan says well my mom says a promise doesn't count unless you say it out loud <laughs> so reed says he promises garcia who was sitting there uh, after nathan leaves says you know he might have killed two women so it's not really your job to hold his hand through this and Reed says, no, you know what? It's just like with his mom. He used to think if he could just understand absolutely everything there is to know about schizophrenia, then maybe he would somehow be able to fix it. And Garcia is just like, you can't. I'm sorry. She's very con caring here and concerning, but she's like, you can't do it, hon. Yeah, and this is this is like this is Reed's thing. Every character, you know, has a thing. This is his thing. Like, you know, when he. You know, when the kid says, like, yeah, I don't want anyone to think I'm crazy. And, I, you know, crazy just, you know, it's a word that's going to trigger Reed. Like, yeah, and, you know, my mom, she's she's in, a, in an asylum. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm her son. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Hutch stops by to tell them he wants them in the conference room. Because if Nathan Harris is not their unsub, then they're going to need to still do a working profile. We cut to the conference room. JJ has photos up of the first victim. Hotch says this was the unsub's first kill. He held his urges in check for three months. Then he couldn't control him anymore. He kills the next victim. And then on this one, he left the help message carved in the abdomen for the cops. And they know that because of the help message and the hesitation marks, it means he's ambivalent about the kill. What they don't know is why he chopped off the hair. He didn't take it with him, so they know it's not a trophy. And Gideon says it's probably a way to minimize some of their power. It robs them of their femininity. femininity. And uh, Reed says, well, that fits with them getting killed in, er, in the early morning. Because that at that time, the prostitutes have their least power sexually, as opposed to nighttime, when he might see them as being on the prowl, so to speak. Prentice points out that the profile does seem to point to Nathan Harris, but Hotch doesn't want to talk about Nathan Harris. Uh, <laughs> You're missing the snappishly. point. You're missing the point, Emily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Morgan happens to agree, though, with Prentice. He says the kid reached out for help. He's probably intimidated sexually. Uh, I don't care how many times he says he didn't do it. He knew about the last victim, and he admitted to getting off on seeing her dead. Hotch says, look, we have Nathan Harris, all right? It doesn't do us any good to talk about him now. I want to make sure if it's not him that we stay on top of things before they start to take a life of their own. 
Gideon says, well, all right, we know our unsub is a sexual sadist. So they go into their profiling. The symbolism of stabbing uh, probably means that he's impotent. And the only way he can get off is by killing. Reed says, considering that cutting hair and killing during the early morning, there's a chance this pathology is more than sexual. This is DC. Power is the most important commodity. Maybe this guy feels impotent in his professional life as well. And Morgan says, but why kill these women? And Reed says, simply because he has access. JJ says, Northwest DC has three major hubs of prostitution. She brings up a map on the monitors uh, and points out there's near Florida Avenue, off of Logan Circle, and McPherson Square, where our victims were found. This indicates that the guy probably works in or around Capitol Hill. Prentice says she's going to go around in the morning, see if any of the victims know of anyone matching the description. Hotch says, good, it's getting late, everyone go home. JJ says to him, shouldn't we get word out to the papers? But Hotch is emphatic that they should not. Gee, I wonder why. Could he have been visited (laughs) by a congresswoman? (laughs) Uh, We cut to the next morning to a street. That, again, looks more like New York to me than D.C. I, I got to stop harp, harping on this. You really but. do. They only have a certain number of sets there in the studio, which is in <laughs> L.A., by the way. So. Which is, yeah. Huh. Just saying. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, one of the prostitutes walks up after uh, to another one asking if she's seen Little Holly. <laughs> Little Holly, <laughs> which that was a funny nickname. But uh, the answer is no. So she pulls out her phone and dials it, and uh, she hears the phone ringing coming right there from an alleyway, which is not a good sign. Isn't it great that little Holly has the world's loudest loudest (laughs) cell phone ring? (laughs) Yes. She heard that thing on a city street about, oh, a good 1,500 feet away. (laughs) Yeah. Around a corner. (laughs) Little Holly had that ringer turned up up um so she walks back to this alley and she discovers the body of little holly um she was the one that told prentice that she was 19 i i believe these are the same prostitutes same two Mm -hmm. um she's bloody how big you think this extra budget is we're gonna reuse these people (laughs) (laughs) little holly unfortunately is bloody and has carvings on her like the other body uh, there's a bit of a break, which we come back from, and when it's now our crime scene, uh, and apparently the carving on her body says failure. Prentice looks at her ID, and it says she was only 16. Yeah, so, even- so she was lying a little more. Yeah. It was almost like uh, the almost famous scene there, like, how old are you? How old are you? How old are you? All right, okay. The truth just sounds different, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you noticed this when right before they went to the commercial there, when uh, the sex worker found little Holly lying there, she she backs away and a whole bunch of pigeons fly from behind her. It was a pretty cool shot, and it clearly was one of those things where it just just happened. They just happened to catch it because there's no way you could stage that, and there's no way they would bother to spend right. the CGI on it. But it was really cool. Like she backs up, and all of a sudden, all these birds fly and scatter. It was it was a pretty cool shot. Very nice. So Hotch says uh, this guy is getting angrier, and he's blaming the police for not stopping his impulses. And Reed says he's certainly not cooling off between kills anymore. 
Morgan says, which means they're going to have a lot more bodies soon. Hotch says, meanwhile, in two days, Congresswoman Steyer is going to stand up at the Capitol building and declare... <coughs> Artificial deadline. <laughs> Artificial deadline. <laughs> you need to have one you every do. episode. They've got two days. And Congresswoman <laughs> Steyer is going to stand up at the Capitol building and declare Washington to be crime-free. So Prentice asks Hotch what Steyer wanted with him the other day anyway. And Hotch very sharply is like, it was a private conversation. Prentice is like, uh, okay, right, uh, sorry about that. Morgan says, well, now we know that Nathan Harris isn't our unsub. Now? And Prentice uh, asks, uh, maybe they should call Gideon and tell him not to bother with the psyche eval. And Reed's like, oh, no, 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 he needs it. He wants to understand what's happening to him. He deserves this chance to know. I mean, that's great that Reed says that, but I think even Morgan would be like, no, the, the, the kid was creepy. Let's let's take a look at him. I, I think that's yeah. more to the point. I mean, it's nice that Reed is kind of altruistic about it, but Morgan would be like, no, 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 no. Heck no, the guy skied me out. Talk to the kid. Find out what's taken. Yeah. We cut to Nathan with uh, Gideon, and Nathan asks if he has to be there, referring to the psychiatrist-looking kind of guy it's his lawyer is it's the, that's the lawyer that's that's the lawyer okay. yeah he's there to protect him yeah yeah okay that makes more sense uh but he looked more like a psychiatrist to me but uh, well Gideon did he's... mention the lawyer and I, yeah yeah uh so uh yeah Gideon says he's it's he's there for his own protection he's just gonna make sure that they're not talking about the case they're just talking about Nathan himself um and apparently, so Gideon's the one doing the psych eval all of a sudden. I know he's qualified to do psych evals. Yeah, they, they had said child services was going to do it and blah, blah, blah. But look, we have nothing for Gideon to do, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's not pay somebody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're right, you're right. <laughs> so Nathan starts off by saying, you know what? He doesn't wet the bed or start fires. And Gideon's like, oh, I see you've read Dr. Harris's warning signs of psychopathy. And Nathan's like, yeah, is that wrong? <laughs> Gideon says, uh, no, it's healthy. In fact, uh, it shows that you're intellectually curious. You want to understand what you're feeling. And uh, he asks him what worries him. Nathan says, well, he's been thinking about stuff, about hurting women. Gideon asks him if he's ever actually hurt anyone. Nathan says he killed a bird once. And he knows that's on the list, one of the signs. Um <laughs> uh, Gideon asks why he killed the bird, and he says, because he was sad. And Gideon asks, well, how did he feel afterwards? And Nathan says, better, uh, because it was dead and he was still alive. And Gideon asks if that's why he wants to hurt women, to feel better. And Nathan just says he doesn't know. Gideon asks if he's ever seen a woman naked. And Nathan says, uh, a few years ago, my mom's med school, they get cadavers. <laughs> uh, Gideon asks how that made him feel, and Nathan says, good, excited, and sick. And Gideon says, well, it's natural for a boy to feel excited. He sees a naked body, even a cadaver. Nathan says, yeah, but now that's the only part I think about, them being dead. And Gideon says, so when you watch the prostitutes... You don't imagine having sex with them? And Nathan says, no, I think about cutting them. Gideon asks why, and Nathan says, I don't know, maybe to look inside, or sometimes I think about feeling their blood in my hands, feeling 
and blood run down my fingers. And Gideon says, uh, does that ever make you climax? And I'm thoroughly disgusted with this whole scene. <laughs> oh, well, you're supposed to be. It's so uncomfortable. Yes, it's very healthy so for you to be disturbed by this. <laughs> yes. So Nathan nods his head yes and says he knows that he's crazy. And Gideon says, did I say that? Nathan says, no, you didn't. But what do you call pictures in your head that you can't make go away? I call them recurring dreams <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we cut to them coming out of gideon's office nathan's mom rushes up to them and hugs hugs nathan uh and gideon asks to talk to her alone they uh, step into an office and gideon tells her that in his opinion nathan should be hospitalized gideon thinks he needs full-time medical attention she says hey i'm a doctor and gideon says Look, he's having homicidal fantasies that are directly linked to his sexual impulses and release. She says, well, he came to your agent. It shows that he's concerned. In his heart, he doesn't want to hurt anyone. And Gideon says, yeah, that's a positive sign. But just because you have intelligence and awareness about a situation doesn't allow us to always control your ur our urges. She thinks that putting him in a hospital is her telling him that he's a monster. And Gideon is like, no, right now he's just sick and needs help. But she says no. And Gideon says, if an alcoholic can't control his impulses, he drinks. You need to really consider what happens with someone fighting psychotic urges. She says she's not naive. She's not going to turn a blind on this, but she has to protect her son. Gideon says he needs to be with professionals. She says she'll make sure he sees someone every day, but she's not going to lock him away. Gideon looks at her, but it appears that this conversation is done. Yeah, he, he relents, but he's got that look on his face, that stupid, stupid woman. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, then cut to Prentice going in the Hotch's office uh, because he's called her there. And he tells her right away he doesn't appreciate being questioned in front of his other agents. She apologizes, says that, you know, wasn't really her intention. He asks her what she was talking to Congresswoman Steyer about. It's private, man. <laughs> That's what she should have said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're right. She should have. But instead, she says, uh, oh, well, she stopped by to say hello. She worked with her mother. She's known her since she was a kid. And Hotch has the gall to ask her <laughs> if she uh, tipped him, tipped her him her off about the case she says no and is clearly kind of offended but hotch says look this team can't function if i don't trust the people on it and she's like look if i touch the nerve or something i'm sorry but i really don't deserve this hotch says well you mysteriously showed up at bo at bau after one of my team members was involved in a questionable shooting uh you've done good work i won't question that but I'm not going to put up with a political agenda. Prentice says, well, her mother was a career politician. You worked with her. Did you like her? He says, well, she was an impressive woman. And Prentice says, you know what? I think politics make people distrustful. It makes them hate themselves. It tears families apart. It damages people. So if there's nothing else, she'd like to get back out on the street and find out who's killing these women, sir. It was a very polite way for her to say, Fuck off. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> 
You yeah. met my mother. Did you like her? Because <laughs> I sure as heck didn't. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a lot of, there was a lot in that speech. Yeah, a lot packed <laughs> into that. All right. Uh, Reed is uh, entering into Gideon's office. He asks Gideon if he's reached a conclusion about Nathan Harris. And Gideon's opinion is, unfortunately, that's it's not a question of if, but a question of when he will end up killing someone. Reed doesn't look too thrilled at this news, and he leaves. We cut next to Nathan's mom knocking on his door, but he doesn't answer. She goes into his room. It's empty. She starts searching around a bit. She finds a magazine under his bed, but the pictures in the magazine appear to have been overlaid with other pictures of cut-up body parts, like cut-up legs and hands and just... Real danger sign. <laughs> it's rude awakening. Real yeah. sign of it's pathology. Like, okay, teen, teen boy, you go and you find it, the, the stash of girly mags. Oh, okay, he's a normal boy. No, he's not normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this the, is the, not right. The deadly decoupage, not exactly a, a trait of most <laughs> magazine stashes. <laughs> oh, yes. That would be a good album title, Deadly, deadly Decoupage. So we cut to uh, Reed and Morgan. It's later that night. And they're out for there Nathan. cruising for the streets. Nathan. And Reed is saying, <laughs> not out cruising for the Nathan, streets. yes. yes. <laughs> I guess I should be specific there. Reed is saying, he's got to be out here. And Morgan can't believe his mother isn't the one out there looking for him. And Reed says, he told her to stay at home. Wait to see if he gets there. Morgan tells Reed, look, this isn't your responsibility. But Reed feels that it is. He can't really explain it. Uh, Morgan's like, try me. Reed says, Nathan knows that he understands him. Uh, and it's more than that he's a profiler. It's also because he knows what it's like to be afraid of your own mind. It's very nice insight there. We do, at this point, see someone approach a prostitute and they're walking off together. And then we cut back to the car and Reed is asking Morgan what he thinks is up with Hotch today. <laughs> and uh morgan says he doesn't know maybe he tied that little knot in his tie too tight again which made me laugh i don't don't know exactly what that means but even amidst all this there's there's still like you know a little levity between morgan and reed it's it's always nice to see it uh morgan gets a call and he says okay on the way and he tells reed that they just found a body so they get there and gideon is already there looking at the body uh, Morgan says, uh-oh, it seems like our killer's getting bolder. Gideon says, if we're talking even about the same unsub. Reed asks him if he means he thinks it was Nathan. And Gideon says, well, this kill was fast and messy. Morgan points out there's no cut hair. There's no message carved in the body. And Gideon says, not to mention this killing was done at night. It, none of it matches their unsub signature. A uh, cop comes up to Reed and tells him they found the boy he's looking for. And we cut then to another cop greeting Reed and Morgan at a church. And he tells Reed that the the kid says he's been here for four hours. Uh, Nathan is sitting there in a pew. Reed goes and sits down next to him. Tells him that he had a lot of people worried. And Nathan apologizes. And Reed says, "Uh, you say you've been here for four hours. Uh, He says, yeah, he snuck out, he started walking, and he thought maybe he should come here to fight his urges. 
Uh, Reed asks him if anyone's seen him. And Nathan's like, oh, it doesn't matter. And Reed is like, uh, actually, it does matter because there's been another stabbing. Uh, I pretty much have to bring you in as a suspect. Nathan is like, you're going to cuff me? And Reed looks at Morgan, who does hand him the cuffs. And Reed starts to cuff Nathan, who says he's been sitting there thinking, the only way for me to save people's lives in the future is to kill myself. Yeah, it's Ugh. the only way. It's the only way I can save the lives of other people is if I decide to kill myself, because that's the only way. I've been sitting here for four hours, and I don't have an alibi. Oh, gosh, you must think I'm crazy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. We, uh... Do come back to the BAU, and uh, we learn that Nathan is in custody, and JJ is asking Reed if he thinks Nathan killed the last woman. Reed says it's possible, but Nathan is evolving, and this ca- this last killing feels more like a a devolution, 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 devolution. Are we not men? D E V O. Gideon says uh, this slut killing was sloppy and angry and Nathan is smart and directed. He's uh, used to achieving and if he decided to kill it will be clinical and efficient. That leaves them nothing but the profile to go back to. It's a good thing that Hot spent all that time on the profile but since none of us remember that profile let's do it all over again. Go! (laughs) Yep. Back in the conference room. See another picture of the first victim. First victim, he gets a taste for the killing. Cut to the next victim. Second, he asks the police to help him stop them. Third time, he feels like they failed him. He's already devolving. Fourth victim, no ritual, no message. Just a brutal murder. Gideon says it's true, he's devolving. (laughs) But this last victim definitely had a message. You don't dump a body across from the Capitol building by accident. And Prentice says, especially not when a congresswoman is about to proclaim success against the crime epidemic. JJ is like, uh, guys, that press conference hasn't even been announced yet. So only someone with inside information would know that. Thank you, JJ, the only person who does any actual police work. <laughs> Reed said, well, we profiled the unsub. Would he, he would feel impotent in his job. What's more powerless than being a bit player on the Washington stage? Morgan says if he felt like he did his part to clear the prostitutes off the street, but that was never heard, maybe he would have felt so betrayed that he literally had to carve out his frustration on these women. Reed says, uh, looks like the profile was right. We were just wrong about who this message was for. Gideon says, okay, then we need to get a list of anyone who advocated on behalf of that bill. Hotch asks Prentice uh, when she went back to talk to the prostitutes, did the profile ring a bell with any of them? And she says, a few of them described what sounded like the same man, but when she showed them mugshots, she came up empty. Hotch says, well, let's go back to him. We're going to need their help. And Morgan asks Hotch what he's thinking about. And Hotch says he needs to get a message to the congresswoman. How quickly can they put together a press conference? And JJ's like, how fast do you need it? <laughs> how fast can it be? Oh, come on. I'm JJ. <laughs> I, I do think it's funny that the, the mugshots were no good. Hey, maybe they should have Reed doodle some faces randomly. Because I'm sure they <laughs> yeah. think, oh, yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to a press conference and Hotch is the one talking. He says, uh, a day from now, there's going to be an announcement across the street on the steps of the Capitol. 
that crime is significantly down in Washington. This is a fact. It is also a fact, however, that there's a serial killer who's been targeting prostitutes who work in this area. And in fact, the last victim was found not 100 yards from where we're standing. Uh, we're here to let you know that the police and the FBI are working tirelessly on this case. And then JJ chimes in saying, uh, we'd like to stress that the to the women that work on these streets, please, please take caution. We believe that a man we're looking for he works on or around Capitol Hill. He possibly works at a research or advocacy group dealing with issues of crime control or prevention. I liked Hotch's press conference. I thought that was really cool because we, we get so little of that type of press conference today uh, where it's like, okay, two things can both be true <laughs> at the same time. Right. Crime is down. Murder is up. <laughs> like, it, it, it can be true. Uh, but it's just so rare these days to have that kind of nuance in a press conference. Yeah. One person was killed, therefore, yeah. Joe Biden is the worst president of all time. Wait, no, slow down. Calm, <laughs> calm down here. <laughs> so now uh, we cut back to Reed, who is back with Garcia with more clickety-clackety instructions. Um, he says that the lower the group is on the Washington food chain, the better. This guy feels like his voice isn't being heard. So check for any advocacy groups promoting morality or values. And Garcia is like, she makes a needle in a haystack reference. Which, come on, Garcia, we know you're the clickety-clack Yeah, she's the clickety-clack person, but, you know, that. we still got time left in this episode. So she can't clickety-clack to perfection. She's just got to clickety-clack around <laughs> the subject area. You know, it's, it's, it's all a question of when in the episode she clickety-clacks. This is the problem with having a character that's all-powerful and omniscient. You know, it's the same thing in Star Trek, The Next Generation. Could Q be involved? <laughs> no, not this week. We, you know, John Delancey's not here. It's not Q. All right. But it could be Q. Well, yeah, I guess it could be Q. It could always be Q. <laughs> same thing here. Can Garcia solve it? Yeah, okay, she could, but do we want her to do it every week? Because these episodes will get shorter and shorter if we just let Garcia do all the work. Garcia and JJ, did you solve the case? Yeah, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so next we cut to Hotch's office and the congresswoman is there and she's like, <laughs> oh, you could have done that much more quietly. <laughs> He's like, I know, I know. There are some people here I'd like you to meet. So he brings her to the conference room and we see some of the prostitutes sitting there. Uh, and the congresswoman asks Hotch, what's his point? He says that these women describe similar experiences with the same man. And they didn't recognize him from the police mugshots, but we think maybe you might know who he is. Uh, Steyer says, uh, did you think you could shock me by treating me to this sideshow? And one of the... Uh, I voted for you, bitch! <laughs> and another one says... <laughs> yes. Another one says, lady, enough of the men that you work with treat themselves to us every single day. Uh, Steyer is uh, apologetic towards the uh, ladies. Princess asks the men, the women, to tell Steyer who she, who they're looking for, and uh, they describe him. They say he's tall and bald. He's got sad eyes. He was always wearing a turtleneck with this long dark coat. Looked like a mortician. Hung around just watching them for months before he got his nerve. Uh, to approach them but at that point he just wanted to watch and one woman says the freak paid me and racine 200 bucks to turn each other's knobs but then he started screaming at us that we were low women 
And then another uh, sex worker says, same thing happened with her. And then his voice gets real high and nasal when he gets excited. And Hotch asks uh, Congresswoman if that's anyone she knows. She says no. Uh, Reed is going to read her a list of groups that that lobbied on behalf of her legislation. And tell her if anyone from any one of those groups sounds like they could fit what they're looking for. He starts to read a list, and when he gets to a group called the Decency Watch, the congresswoman is like, oh my god, the man who runs it. Reed looks at his notes and says, Ronald Weems. Uh, Hotch says if she knows him, she says no, but then she means yes, but he's just a nobody. Prentice says, but he fits the description, and Steyer says, perfectly. We cut to another Doogie Howser shot of a laptop and the words being typed, and this seems like the same screed that was uh, from before the first one we saw uh, ranting against the uh, the sex workers. Um, and then we see our, our unsub. He matches the description anyway. He's the one typing up. He finishes up whatever he was typing, then he leaves the room. He tells his wife that she's there. Uh, he tells her they, that he needs to get back to work. She's like, again? He's like, yes, again. It can't be helped. She sighs. Then it's a little bit later, and we see a car pull up, and Gideon, Morgan, and Hotch get out and go up to an apartment and knock on the door. And uh, the unsub's wife that we just saw opens the door. They tell her they're looking for Ronald Weems. She says, you just missed him. Why don't you come back in a couple of hours? Gideon's like, uh, don't you even want to know why we're here? She says, oh, oh yes, of course, I'm sorry. Uh, Morgan says they're investigating the murders of several local prostitutes. And she says she's glad that Ronald is helping you with that, but I don't know anything about that. They uh, ask her if they can look at her husband's office. She's like, Ronald doesn't allow anyone in there. I'm sorry, just come back later. Gideon does his thing that he does. He uh, asks her, in the last six months, did your husband start asking you to play out sexual fantasies? She's like, excuse me? Uh, Gideon says, it's possible he, he even berated you if you played along. And she starts to say she doesn't think this is appropriate. And Hotch chimes in uh, and says, when it finally stopped about a month ago, you were relieved. And Morgan says, look, ma'am, you're afraid to ask us why we're here. In your heart, we, you know we're not here because Ronald's helping us with the investigation. She starts to say goodnight, and she closes the door. And behind the closed door, Gideon's still talking. He says, you've been glad to have him leave the house at odd hours because he's been angry and frustrated. And when he comes home, he feels like the man you married again. She slowly starts to open the door. Gideon looks at her and says, his office, please. Uh, she allows them in. Yeah, well, she seemed like a very sad, sad woman. And, uh, you know, when uh, Gideon is on, Gideon is on. He knows exactly which buttons to press. He pressed all the right buttons. And, hey, they got in. They got permission. And now they're going to get They to search the office. Of course, this guy's got a wall with a bunch of clippings on it because he's an unsub, and they all have that wall. Exactly. They also see some uh, pamphlets for this group that he's in called the Decency Watch, and then they find a, a letter from him on that, that Decency Watch letterhead talking about 
Why won't they clean them off the street? The blood is on their hands. I see a world set free of vice and vermin, cleansed of the blood of the whores who walk the street. So maybe they've got the right guy, it looks like. <laughs> they pretty much have got the right guy, yeah. Uh, Gideon asks the uh, wife if she knows where her husband went. She says he said he had work to do. And we cut to our unsub coming up out of the metro, looking menacing and, and bleak. And we cut to a break. Weems is on the prowl. <laughs> we come back from a break and our team is out checking the streets, seeing if anyone recognizes the uh, unsub. We see him. Again, I think it's just very, it's very foolish of them to actually be using a photo of Weems and not read a <laughs> little sketch pad. Uh, we do see our unsub walking along and just as he walks off camera, like maybe 20 or 30 feet behind him, Reed and Morgan are there uh, talking to a, another, I'm sorry, Reed and Hotch are there talking to another prostitute and she's telling him she doesn't uh, know anything. We cut to Morgan. He's uh, in an alley. He's, he's talking to someone and I just like his little intro to it. He's like, my man. You ever seen this cat out here doing business? Uh, all right, Morgan, my man. Yeah, my my favorite my favorite part of this little montage here, as they're getting there's no there's no uh, response from anyone at this. It's like Reed at one point shows it to someone. He's like, you didn't even look. Yes, uh, it's hilarious. Uh, we cut to our unsub still walking along. Finally, he walks up to a prostitute and he's like, "How much?" And she looks at him. With a sudden recognition, she starts to back off. He starts to be like, he's like, what are you doing? Don't walk away from me. She pulls out a whistle and just starts blowing it. Oh, they're on to him. Uh, he starts to try to run off, but already Hotch and Reed are there. They have their guns drawn. And they're like, stop, freeze, Ronald Weems, don't move. He starts to get down on the ground, a prostitute runs up to him and sprays some mace in his face real quick and Morgan is dragging away she's saying oh he killed my friend and Morgan's like I know I know but stop it uh Weems is like she maced me and Princess is like yeah she did <laughs> you killed little uh, Holly you deserve it <laughs> exactly a uh, cop car pulls up and, and Weems is screaming they said they cleaned the streets they lied. What was I supposed to do? I had to do something. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Sure. Maybe not that. You did, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Let's try something else. Uh, we cut to the BAU. Nathan has come to visit Reed. He's like, I heard that they let you go today. Sorry, I couldn't come to see you. And Nathan says, oh, that's okay. Reed asks him where his mom is. Well, she had to work, uh, but he did tell her that he was coming to see Reed. He asks Reed if he was there when they caught him. And Reed says yes. And so he asks, uh, did he say how long he knew what he was? Reed says no. And Nathan says, do you think it's possible for me to maybe talk to him? And Reed says, I'm sorry. But look, you are not him. We are constantly evolving. I'm a lot older than you, and I'm changing all of the time. This job changes me. You've changed me. You sought me out to try to understand how not to harm people. 
It's a far more important part of who you are than the one part that scares you. And Nathan says uh, his mom wants him to go for to the hospital for a bit. And Reed says maybe that's not such a bad idea. But Nathan says once they lock him up, he's they'll never let him go, basically. They're never going to let me out once they put me in there. It's not going to happen. They're going to think I'm crazy and they're going to leave me in there for the rest of my life. So, you know, <laughs> no big deal. I'm just, I'm just a kid. Uh, Reed says, you don't know that. Nathan's like, whatever. I just wanted to come and say goodbye. Reed asks when he's going in. He says it's supposed to be tomorrow. So tonight is going to be his last night of freedom. He thanks Reed for caring. And then he leaves. <sighs> Yeah. Poor heartbroken little kid. Yeah. Reed looks uh, thoughtful. And then we do get our closing quote. Another T.S. Eliot jam. Uh, sounds like from the same piece. Because the quote is, Between the desire and the spasm. Between the potency and the existence. Between the essence and the descent. Falls the shadow. This is the way the world ends. We see another sex worker on the street. Uh, she's talking at a car, but the guess the car isn't interested in her services. And when she turns around, all of a sudden, Nathan is there. And he says, no! Yeah. <laughs> he says uh, he's looking for a date. And she walks off with him. This doesn't seem to be good. Uh, meanwhile, Garcia comes up to Reed. She's like... Come on, you and me are hitting the town. Reed tries to back out. He's not really in the mood, but she's like, you come on, do not make me hurt you. We cut to the prostitute with Nathan. She's telling him to relax. Doesn't he want to feel her? Nathan is rocking back and forth. She starts to grab his hand. She rubs her stomach with it. She, He just can't take it. She tries to relax him. He starts to cream, scream at her, don't touch me. He says, you're just a whore. You have no idea what I could do to you. And uh, at this point, she starts to realize, uh-oh, uh, starts to back off a little bit. She says, uh, how about we both just walk away from this? No charge. Uh, at this point, Nathan has said no. He's grabbed out, it looks like a pocket knife from his bag. A little exacto or something, yeah. Yeah. and. Uh, she starts saying, oh, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. And he starts walking toward her. He says, I have to. Uh-oh. We cut to Garcia and Reed, and they're walking towards Garcia's car, which she proudly exclaims has 150,000 miles on it. <laughs> okay. But anyway, Reed gets a phone call. Uh, he's listening, and then he's like, what? Oh, my God. Uh, stay where you are. I'm going to call an ambulance. He tells Garcia he needs her to drive. She she says yes, and they rush off. We cut to a motel room. Garcia and Reed arrive. Uh, the sex worker is there crying, so she's okay. Uh, but she says, he just started slashing himself up. Reed takes control. He gets Garcia to give him her scarf. She ties the, He ties it around uh, Nathan's wrist. Nathan is bleeding. He's cut his wrist. He shouts for a belt, anything he tells Nathan he's not going to let him die. He's screaming, where are the paramedics? But he did take charge of the situation pretty much yeah, immediately. He's, he's, he, he was, which was uh, sane nice enough in this crazy situation to stop the bleeding and 
where are those paramedics? And come on, paramedics, come on, paramedics, come on, paramedics. I mean, you know, it was a little much. I mean, yes. but I like the fact that even though he was calm and doing what he needed to do, he still was panicked. So it was nice to show that juxtaposition. Right. We uh, cut to it's a little bit later outside of the motel. Uh, Morgan is there talking to uh, Garcia. And uh, he asks her how the sex worker knew how to call Reed. And Garcia says, well, Nathan put his business card on the desk before he started to cut himself. Sort of like a suicide note, perhaps. And Gideon walks over to Reed, who is cleaning blood off his hands. Uh, and he tells him that the paramedics said that Nathan would have, wouldn't have made it without Reed. Uh, you saved his life. Reed says uh, he wanted me to let him die. And Gideon says he's sick. He needed saving. And Reed says, well, how many people's lives did I risk in the future? And Gideon says, well, you know what? Profiles can be wrong. And Reed says, what if it's not? What if next time he kills somebody? And Gideon says, well, then you're going to catch him. Yeah. I mean, matter of fact, but I like I like the matter of fact. Yeah, that's well. right. Then you catch him. We, we, yeah, people people make choices, and sometimes do. they can't yeah. fight the urges. And okay, then maybe it's not their choice, but you know, your choice is to do what's good, and that's why you're a good guy. Yep, and uh, that was the episode, AJ. Woohoo! I liked. It. I, I thought. I thought uh, Anton Yelchin was yep. fantastic. Agreed. It just he was just drew in everything he said. You're just watching every every motion and acting, and it's just. If you're going to bring in a guest star to be an unsub and they put together a performance like that, then the episode works. No matter how many plot holes there are or anything, it's just just fun to watch. Good acting. Yep. How about we uh, check out our Balrameter? Every uh, week, folks, we ask this question. Uh, did our team win this particular episode? AJ? I mean, Reed will tell you that he did not win this particular episode, but clearly he did. You know, he stopped. Uh, they caught the guy. They caught Weems, and uh, they saved the kid's life. So, I mean, sure, eventually down the road, maybe this will result in some deaths, and maybe it would have been, you know, the you know the uh, needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many kind of deal situation there, kind of use that Star Trek metaphor. But, hey, for now, you did the right thing. You win. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I did feel uh, sorry for that kid, but, um, I think, uh, yeah, I felt like even though it was tragic, maybe you could also anticipate that maybe there's hope for this kid because he knows what he is and he's trying to, to fight against yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I guess it's time for... Another little custom we have here at Felonious Pundits. Uh, it's time to take a quiz that is uh, based on our episode. Yes, yes. I have another podcast called Beat My Guest where I do lots of trivia. Uh, I like to bring the trivia here. So here are three questions. Spun off from this episode in some way, shape, or form. And you, Kintad, you have to answer. Uh, let's see how you can do this week. Congresswoman Steyer was played by Mel Harris, a longtime television veteran from a little TV show known as 30-something. What was her name on 30-something? 
I don't remember 30-something that much. Actually, I didn't watch 30-something. But I feel like I might know this anyway. I remember yes. Ken Olin was on that show. Uh, I'm trying to remember the rest of the cast. I feel like the only character's name that I can remember from that show was Hope. So I'm going to say she was Hope. Keep Hope alive! That is correct! Hope is the correct answer. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. Yes, yes. Played Hope for many years on that show. A show I did. Oh, and Patricia Wedig. Also Timothy Busfield. Oh, yeah. It was a, it was yeah. a show for, for a time. Never watched it. It was one of those shows <laughs> that I recognized was quality television, just not interested. So, uh, all right, question yeah. two. Obviously, I'm going to ask a question about Mr. Anton Yelchin. Uh, not, however... Was he Chekhov in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek series? Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, I am going to give you, we're going to do this a little, little differently. I'm going to give you four multiple choices of the names of movies. I want you to tell me which of these four movies describes Anton Yelchin's parents' real-life situation the best. Which of these four movies... The plots of these movies most describes Anton Yelchin's real life parents. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, right, here we go. He okay. had famous parents. I don't know if you knew this. He had famous parents. So there's a chance you might notice. Is it A, The Cutting Edge? Is it B, The Conjuring? Is it C, the Great Escape? Or is it D, The Sound of Music? The plot of which of these movies is most like The Lives of the Parents of Anton Yelchin? Uh, wow. Part of me wants to say The Sound of Music, and part of me wants to say The Great Escape. I, I, I have no clue. This is a guess. Uh, <laughs> I... I Never heard of his parents. I didn't know he came from famous parents. Uh, I don't think it's going to be The Conjuring. Um, I do remember hearing at one point that he was, I think he was originally from Russia. Uh, but, uh, you know, grew up, raised American. But I think I remember him being from Russia. So I'm escape. going to say the great escape. Uh, well, you know that well, prisoners of war, which his parents were not prisoners of war. Uh, they did leave Russia, and they left Russia to come to America because oh, you okay. see, um, they were Jewish, and the Russian government did not want any Jewish pairs figure skaters. They were going to be Olympic figure skaters, and uh, they met and they became partners and fell in love, much like the plot of The Cutting Edge. Uh. Unfortunately, uh, they were not allowed to compete internationally because uh, of uh. anti-Semitism. Well, that just sucks, but uh, good question. I like that. Yeah, they were. They, there was a lot of documentaries uh, about uh, his life after after he died tragically, and his parents were featured, and then people learned about the story of, of, okay. of his parents. So. It's out yeah, there uh, in the world, but uh, no, I yeah. yeah, I I thought I wouldn't think you would ask me if it was totally just yeah. oh. if they if it was like he was a plumber and she was <laughs> you know that was my favorite I, movie. He's a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> it's Brazil, yeah. Anyway, 
All right, my favorite question of each and every week. A little preview of next week's episode of Floney's Pundits. What is the plot of that episode that we're going to uh, talk about next time? It'll be Criminal Minds, Season 2, Episode 12, entitled Profiler Profiled. Profiler Profiled. Which of these is the plot of that episode? Is it A, a newspaper interview with Reed? results in some uncomfortable situations for the BAU when he develops a fan base. <laughs> is it B? Gideon is called in to evaluate a former colleague when he starts to exhibit erratic behavior. Is it Z? Hotch, still suspicious about new agent Prentice, does some digging into exactly how she got to the BAU. Or is it D? Morgan's trip home to Chicago results in his arrest as he is charged with multiple homicides. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is a good question, AJ. I, I enjoy this every week. So much. <laughs> I don't ever get it right, but I do enjoy it. Uh, I mean, I really want to say it's option C, the Hotch digging further into Prentice, but that's such an obvious pull from this week. Would you do that, or would you not do that? Uh, some of these other choices sound uh, fun as well. Uh, Morgan in Chicago, I, I... Uh, I don't remember him ever mentioning if he was a Chicagoan, but that would be uh, nice to see. Um, I feel like it's going to be the boring choice where, or of those four. What I thought the boring choice was Gideon uh, has to like check in on a former colleague who, I mean, that sounds kind of boring, but that sounds like it's probably what it's going to be. But after all this equivocating... And even though I think it's probably B, I'm going to say C, Hotch is going to continue his investigation on Prentice. Hotch, still suspicious about Prentice, tries to figure out, well, how exactly did she get here? We didn't ask for her. We never approved it. How did it happen? No, that's not even close to what's going to go on next week. No, we're going to Chi-Town. Morgan is arrested oh. for triple homicide. Wow. <laughs> didn't see that coming. Wow. I love it. Um, this might be, I'm just predicting without knowledge, this may be my favorite episode so far. Swat, swat! <laughs> oh, just you wait uh, to see what happens in this one. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that sounds uh, really exciting, folks. Next week, check us out then. But that's the show for this week. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a great time, as always. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to spread the word. Let anyone you know uh, know about us. If they're Criminal Minds fans, great. Uh, if they're not Criminal Minds fans, they might still enjoy listening. Why not? We have some laughs. Never. We, we just cry and moan and complain. <laughs> And sometimes we get a little dark. Um, 
Yeah, but anyway, that's it for us, folks. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! And I don't need your sympathy. There's nothing in this world for me. Birth, school, work, death. The Godfather.